And okay, so you think about that for a second. Does somebody at work care about me as a person? Well, if I'm the leader and I don't care about them and they don't believe that or they don't see that, well, they're just not going to be engaged. Welcome to Passion and Profits Without Burnout. I'm your host, Jacob Moore. I'm a speaker, coach, childhood suicide loss survivor, and filmmaker who left Hollywood to follow my heart of service. I've helped tens of thousands of people find the balance in their life between passion and profits. On the show, I'm going to teach you how to build a trauma-responsive, resilient, and impactful community and organization, all without burning out. Let's get started. Well, hi, Brian. Welcome to Passion and Profits. Thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Glad to be here, Jacob. So, Brian, you are an entrepreneur and you are someone who um, I can safely say um, is an expert at uh, being a leader because you've built some businesses, uh, made a lot of money, and um, and done so in a way that has um, seems to have like created this great culture based on love, which I think is like sort of like counterculture to maybe <laughs> what um, we think of traditionally as, you know, like building a business in America. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to some degree, I'm glad you added this sort of last part there because having a team or making money certainly don't make you a good leader. There's a lot of people that have both that I would say are very poor leaders. And, you know, yeah. and there's some of the more known examples. Your Steve Jobs isn't exactly known as a loving, caring person, but certainly had a lot of money and certainly was successful by a lot of standards. And so, you know, when I look at leadership, it's, it's certainly a lot more than just, hey, am I successful? And, and certainly want to be. <laughs> I certainly have goals. That, that's not, not yeah. part of the equation, but it's not the underlying most important part. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm curious though, how did you come to this way of thinking with so many prolific examples of people who don't do that um, traditionally um, for, for leaders and entrepreneurs? How did you come to this way of thinking and this approach to your business? Yeah. So there's, I'll give you an initial story that kind of, that I stands out in my mind that happened to me when I was in college there was a presenter that came to college. His name was Steve Dickerson, and he was a really interesting, dynamic guy, uh, non entrepreneur. He was um, uh, worked for various companies in the auto industry, and one of them he worked for uh, did brake manufacturing in their facility mm. in the Carolinas. Was getting shut down in two years. He had a two year heads up. Nothing he could do was going to get shut down. And he tells this story to a bunch of engineers who could potentially work at facilities like this that he had this information, and he now had to decide what to do with it. Do you wait till two weeks before it's going to shut down and tell everybody, hey, it's your last two weeks. See you later. Do you tell them sooner and hope they don't quit ahead of time and just leave and now you don't have a plant to run? Because that was his sure. responsibility to keep that plant running. And so ultimately, he talked about how his leadership team got together and said, you know what? We're going to tell everybody and we're going to let them know we're going to help them. And so mm -hmm. when it shut down, they worked the entire two years, shut down. Everybody either had a retirement plan or they had transferred and had a new job somewhere else. And so I heard that story as an engineer and said, man, like I love engineering and this is great, but this is really a way to affect people. And so that really inspired me to say, how can I do that in my life? How could I have that impact? And, and 
as large of a scale, if that's the right word or the right uh, strategy to see it. And then over time, it developed as a better understanding of, I think that resonated with me because um, partially because of my faith, right? So what do I mean by that? Love is a core part of what I'm required to do in my faith. Simplest answer is, um, you know, as a Christian, Jesus talks about love one another. And I think that actually gets ignored quite a bit, right? To love your neighbor as yourself, which means it, quite often I have to put their needs ahead of mine. And so right. that kind of like made it uh, very real to me. Okay, if you really love somebody, what does that mean? Uh, the definition that I work off of um, is to will the good of another. Mm. So I'll, I'll kind of pause for a second, maybe repeat that. To will the good of another. So I think most of the people that are, are listening that you work with, Jacob, do that and live that, right? Another word that's often used is charity, and they're kind of used interchangeably at times. And yeah. that one makes sense. What's charity? That would mean doing something without expectation, doing something good without expectation of return. And that's essentially yeah. the same thing is how I would understand love. And so when you realize that, okay, I, I personally have to live this out. That's my belief system that's under... Um, girding what I you know I am as a person and see that you know what this really inspiring story of someone that could have just tried to do the profitable easy thing but didn't says okay there's a way to be successful in business but also care for people and love them does, does that help or make sense yeah it makes a lot of sense and certainly is in line with with my values in five bridges the fifth bridge is give and we talk a lot about um, this idea of, um, you know, why we give. And, um, you know, it's interesting because the, you know, law of reciprocity and um, what this does psychology, you know, psychologically is um, really impactful and, and deep for us as individuals. So that definition of love fits right and perfectly in that. Um, and I, and I think what's, what strikes me the most about it is that me giving love is not for me it is for you right willing the good for you um, right. and i think that's that's a really important definition so um so I, I appreciate you sharing that story and it's um it's something that i think is lost so often in um in, in the in the business space so how then did that develop into what it, now a couple of successful companies? Yeah, so the the question of how to develop the companies, I don't know that the, the love or the goal to build the company around that made the company itself, right? It was more of, okay, I see an opportunity to impact people. Being in business is a great way to, to do that. So I acquired my first business at uh, 26 and had 12 employees. Um, so now it was like, okay, I'd never managed anybody. Now all of a sudden I'm thrown into this to some degree. Um, I got to figure out how to resonate and connect with people. Mm -hmm. And the, the summary there is you just have to care about people. And what does that look like? It's like literally asking them. <laughs> you know, one of the, the resources that I've used for, man, maybe it's 12, 15 years now, uh, is a book called First Break All the Rules by Marcus Buckingham. It's a really great resource. Um, you can certainly reach out to me if you don't want to read the book. There's 12 questions in there that are based on 20 plus years of research, 80,000 interviews, I think 20,000 managers. And these 12 questions can predict profitability and retention. 
And so I actually think the two are very related. Um, and some of the questions are things like, hey, does someone at work care about me as a person, right? And okay, so you think about that for a second. Does somebody at work care about me as a person? Well, if I'm the leader and I don't care about them and they don't believe that or they don't see that, well, they're just not going to be engaged. They're going to quite quit or they're going to do the bare minimum yep. not to get fired and these types of things. But on the other side, I recently had a, a newer team member come to me and say, Brian, it's really interesting in like meetings and stuff. You never actually tell people exactly what, like tell them or order them what to do. Like, why is that? He was, he was very surprised because that seems like what you should do and what you need to do. Sure. And you have to have systems in place so people know what's expected or like what's a good quality and so on. It's not vague, but the idea that people have to step up and say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to take on that project or I'm going to deal with that situation. Or, I'm going to do these things works when everybody buys into we're on the same team. Yeah. Right. And so over the next few months, as I, once I point out that it's like, I don't, I don't have to tell people what to do because they want to be part of it. And different people on our team. So in my marketing agency have different skill sets. And so when a problem comes up, that's unique, uniquely fit for them, that they know they have the skill set and we rely on them to solve that kind of problem. That's just a part of you know, the group. I don't want to use the word family because I don't I don't think it's fair to call it that because that's different. But it's just part of the organization where they know they're expected to and people are relying on them to do well. And they'll get appreciated for it and they'll get recognized for it. And so they do. And yeah. so the idea that you have to say, hey, you handle this or you handle that isn't necessary when we're all moving in the same direction and buy into the same uh, trust of each other. Uh, yeah. Like another one of the I, questions I think- is, do I believe my coworkers are doing quality work? Right. And so that feeds right into that. If I don't think they're doing quality work, I'm, I might be afraid to hand something off to somebody. Well, how are you going to scale or yeah. grow or, you know, do anything along those lines if, if you can't trust the other people you're with? Right. Or feel like it's okay for you to do subpar work if everyone else is doing Yeah. It. Sure. Yep, right. yep. There's certainly pressure on that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's, um, I, I like the differentiation, um, you know, between uh, not using the word family, um, but what you're describing sounds like community. It sounds like this group of people who are coming together for um, the the good of, of all um, and towards a common goal and participating as necessary to accomplish that, that goal. Um, but the leadership necessary um, to create the vision and make sure that the goals and the standards are translated. I mean, that, that falls to you, right? That's your, your design for the organization. So when you are putting that plan in place and when you're strategizing for, you know, really trying to accomplish uh, the objectives of, of your business and um, of course make money and um, provide valuable service. Um, how much time are you spending on, you know, your, your SOPs versus, you know, how you're building that culture? How do you strike that balance? Because I find for myself, it, it feels like sometimes resources are so limited that I have to sacrifice the, the people part of it to focus on, you know, the business part. Yeah. So, so two things kind of inspired me, or at least a few things that I would say. One is 
uh, you get the people you deserve. I heard that years ago. And what does that mean? That like, if you have staffing problems, it's leadership's fault, period, right? Like the buck stops there. And so, okay, if you get the people you deserve, then how do you get the best people? And that's where the culture is necessary to get the best people, particularly when you have limited resources, right? The number one reason people leave companies is because uh, of their relationship with their direct report. It's not pay or perks or all these other things. Like it's the relationship with the direct report. So if you're C-level and there's somebody that's, you know, three levels down from you, it's not necessarily you, but it's the team that you've built, the culture you've built uh, around them. And the other thing is an organization reflects in a business world, the founder, but the leader. And so if I'm saying I care and I love, you know, I care about people and I love them, I will the good of them, I want the best for them. And they're in a high stress situation and I don't recognize that and help them in whatever way I can, like give me an extra break, you know, bringing them lunch or, you know, there's so many things you do or just asking and talking to them like, hey, what's going on? What can we do better? Getting their input, getting their feedback. You know, one of the other questions that comes up with Buckingham's research is do my opinions at work seem to count? Well, that, that doesn't mean they're followed. That means they're listened to, right? And so, okay, if you're building this business or your organization and you want the best people, and it's, you know, you're the one responsible ultimately for that. How do you balance out the, the culture versus the operations? I think the first operating procedure you need is your culture statements, right? Like you have to define what is the culture we're building. So if I'm making SOPs, that's the first one. Uh, we have six of them in optimized marketing and they've evolved over the years to be fair. So originally I think we started out with uh, 11. And so we've kind of trimmed those down, simplified them and tried to get to ones that are memorable. And then we, Actually, on a semi-annual basis, we do what's called a peer assessment. We take those values and then in the group that you're connected with, so it's generally six to 10 people on the high end that you would normally interface with, you rate them anonymously on where they're at mm. on these core values that everybody agrees to. And so that starts right at the recruiting phase. So if I don't have that at the beginning, I, how am I going to know that I'm going to get somebody that's culturally aligned or someone that really believes it can be part of or you use community, which I think is a great one, because I haven't defined who the community is or what the community is or where we're going or whatnot. Right. So uh, that becomes foundational. Once you start building the team, you got to have the quality controls and systems in place. That's true of any business uh, in any industry or nonprofit. I mean, it doesn't matter. And initially, I was probably doing the majority of those. I mean, dozens, if not hundreds in the first few years. Uh, now I do very few of them. Because, you know, the team understands the importance of these things. And, you know, that's just the, the nature of sort of a startup or a growing company that uh, initially you got to do everything. And then over time, right. if you have people that buy into the vision, they'll continue to do those things. Does that make sense or answer your question? Yeah. And, and I think um, what I'm struck by is the, you know, level of autonomy and um, you being an example, but uh, effectively you are then looking to them to self-manage in a lot of ways. Yeah, and you have to be really careful with that um, because people use that self-manage to say, oh, you're on your own, figure it out, right? And that- I've been guilty of that. has Brian. a negative, <laughs> there's the pendulum, right? Yeah. Like you can swing it too far. Uh, I think Dan Pink's research where he talks about autonomy, mastery, and purpose, uh, I think speaks to that, that you need autonomy, but you also need- you know, we would see it in the marketing world. Like if I have a challenge, can I go talk to a world-class expert to help me with this? And our team has that. 
you know, we do mm. daily check-ins and it's worth mentioning my, all of my teams are remote. So I get people spread across the, you know, probably six countries and probably right now four different states. And so when that's the case and I don't look at people and see them day to day, you have to have a lot of checks to check in with people and to make sure things are going well. And short meetings, we do a 15 minute stand up with the, the core team, you know, every day to see what barriers they might have and so on. And, and those types of things show that, you know what, okay, I'm, I'm autonomous. I can go solve these problems in my own way. However, if you're new, you're going to be provided with a way to solve almost every problem. There's got to be an operating procedure. There's got to be a solution. There's got to be something. And you could add to it or you can make it better. But I'm a, I'm a data-driven guy. You better have the data and be able to have the proof to show it's better. And if so, then we're going to drop whatever we're doing and switch it in an instant. But you have to you know, step up to the plate, so to speak, and be able to, to meet that. You know, you're talking sort of about the competition earlier. Like you're dealing with high-quality people. You got to be able to, to rise to that and really thrive with respecting each other, but also being able to say, you know what, I have something to add. Yeah. I appreciate that. And that's, that's, I think, an important distinction. Um, so I, uh, Brian, I'm hoping that you can um, help to maybe, you know, pro provide some perspective to challenges that, you know, some of my listeners and some of my clients have. Um, so as we talked about pre-show, you know, I'm working with people who are in the, you know, service space, um, agencies that are providing um, you know, mental health services, um, social services, um, you know, addiction prevention, um, populations that are, you know, incarcerated. And um, they're really doing high levels of heart work. Um, sure. And they're doing it generally with limited resources. And um, there's high turnover because there's a lot of burnout. Um, and because you know, our, our, our leaders aren't able to incentivize with big paychecks. Um, a lot of them end up feeling really stuck, um, or helpless to really change or affect change on, you know, this, this, this dynamic that they're experiencing. Um, what I'm hearing you say is that culture building, um, community building is really the answer to that. Um, my specific question to you is when you are not in an entrepreneurial space where you get to make all the decisions and have a lot of autonomy and do whatever, <laughs> um, you see fit, um, how do you sort of create that, that sense of community? And, uh, what is the secret to letting people know that you care and that their ideas matter and, and building this um, this buy-in that makes people want to stay. So there's, there's a lot baked into your question. <laughs> um, so the, the first part, I think I kind of want to address it in, in multiple steps. So you talked about the burnout, right? And the turnover. And I don't want to kind of uh, jump past that. I, I want to pause on that for a second. So it's really important to understand and check in on a regular basis with why you're doing what you're doing, right? And that's that's sort of at all levels. So, for instance, um, I have businesses, and you know, coming from the, that background is a little bit different, but I know, and it's very clear, and I'll tell everyone on my team this, and I think they should feel the same way that family is a higher importance in serving them than businesses, right? 
Okay, so what what does that look like? Well, if somebody has a sick family member, and that could be at all kinds of levels from, you know, they just got a cold to cancer or whatever. There's a certain level of support that needs to be there because that's what I would want, right? Now, of course. the other side of that is, okay, if I'm in business or I'm in a position in a nonprofit or helping out those that, you know, obviously are struggling in various capacities, and that doesn't support my core needs for my family and other parts of life, then you need to be aware of that misalignment early. You can't wait till it's the 10th time I told my kids I can't make it to their soccer game, right? Because at that point, now you're you're at the point where you're breaking and it's too late. There's got to be a constant uh, check-in to say, okay, this is what life is about for me. This is the purpose that I have. And that's being with my spouse and that's being with my kids and that's, you know, or, or whatever your dynamic is. And mm-hmm. having that prioritization to understand that, okay, well, I can miss a soccer game here and there, but you know I need to have a life that supports these other things that matter. Because when you have that, for lack of a better word, balance, even though I think it's overused, um, then you can deal with stresses at a much higher level. Because you realize, you know what, I can get go to that downtime. You know, I talk to my team about. I actually am a better leader because I coach six different teams for my kids, and when I'm doing that, I'm completely disconnected from what I do at work. Like it doesn't cross my mind. I'm not thinking about it. And so it just kind of frees my mind. And then when I'm done, ideas come to me and things come to me that help me sort of refresh. And I think that's true in any type of organization because that's just the way the mind works. That's the way our emotional you know, person works. And so that's kind of step one. That, you know, If you want to avoid the burnout and you want to uh, be happy where you are, you got to have those regular check-ins, but also be extremely clear at all levels of your life what's important. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Okay, so now that the second part, or really that's one question, but the second part that I'll try to address there is, okay, what does that look like in dealing with other people? Well, one, it's respecting that for them, right? It's like, uh, it's a ridiculous idea to think that somebody else is going to care about my business as much as I do, right? And so you just have to be realistic that they just don't. I think you also have to be realistic that how much can I truly do? Is it to affect a million lives or is it just to help one? And I think being a parent really put that into focus for me that I can go out and do you know, whatever uh, talks and speeches and meet with people and build businesses and so on, or I can just be there for my son or my daughter you know, and, and connect with them and help them. And it, it really helped me sort of realize that, man, maybe my grandiose ideas, not that they're not valuable, not that they're not useful or important, but where are they in the priority list? And can I take joy and satisfaction out of just helping that one person? And that's just a sense of, I know you've talked about the gratitude and the, the, the charity and the giving that if I've given somebody today, and my wife's actually a much better example of this. She works at uh, what's, what's a Title I school. So low income is probably the easiest way to say it. And just sees very difficult things on a daily basis. And I don't know that I personally could do that. Like it's just so emotional the things that, that sure. she would see and experience. Um, and it's certainly not for the pay, but knowing that you've made a difference in that one life is as difficult as it is, yeah. um, reflects back to, okay, well, why are you here and what's your purpose? When you're dealing with your other team members, when you're dealing with other people that are trying to build that culture, uh, asking them the questions, like one really good question, and you have to ask this anonymously, is how happy are you at work? Mm. Uh, Sean Core did some really good uh, research on this. There's a software called Tiny Pulse that we've been using for, I mean, like 
basically as soon as it came, became available, but you can do it with any survey tool if you wanted to. Um, because the reality is successful people are not happy. Happy people are successful. Uh, Shawnee Core's research and happiness advantage points that out. And so that's ubiquitous. It doesn't matter what kind of organization you're in. Heck, you can ask that to your family. <laughs> you know, how <laughs> you're in our family. Um, because yeah. it's just part of the human nature that, you know, once I'm happy, and that's going back to the community, that's showing somebody cares about me, do my opinions count, all these types of things, then I can be better at whatever it is I'm doing. And so if I'm in a leadership position and I don't understand that dynamic in my team, or I'm afraid to ask, uh, which is probably more common when I talk to people in high stress situations. They just, they don't want to know the sure. answer because if I'm claiming to care about you and I know the answer is you're not happy and I don't do anything about it, I've now countered what I said. And and it might be a lot of yeah. work up front, but long-term it certainly pays off to just be open, address those things and get an understanding of what you could do better. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, I, I think what you said earlier about you know, this idea of like family first being a core value, but is in actuality the organization supporting that? Um, that can be a core value, sure. but if it's, if you're not facilitating, you know, the ability for someone to take time off to take care of a sick family member, then um, in fact, you're not upholding that core value. But what I'm struck by here, Brian, is this, this idea that because because you, you talked about these grandiose ideas that you that you have to you know affect millions and change and I think a lot of entrepreneurs myself included um, have have those sorts of visions. Sure. But what I hear you saying is, in fact, the route to get there, and 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 perhaps you know not, not everybody has that, and the leaders of who are listening to this podcast aren't necessarily wanting to do that. But I, arguably, they want to help as many people as possible. The way to do that is to focus on the individuals to focus on you know in your case you know whether it's your um your family or your individual team members because when you do that then you are empowering them to go and do and building that team then becomes exponential then then you can in fact have impact at the millions um or on a grand scale because that seed that you've planted now is able to grow. So you, you're not doing it yourself, but you're creating an environment by caring that allows that to happen. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we did a, a retreat recently and my whole team, um, we, we flew down to the Bahamas once a year because it's remote just to kind of get together. Um, this year's Bahamas, not always. And one of the things we did is reflect on, okay, what were you really proud of? Like, what is your uh, accomplishment for the last year that you enjoyed? And mine is, as a leader, my greatest joy in that position is to see other people succeed and in particular do things better than I think I could do, right? So if I'm growing a business or any organization, that should be what drives me as a leader. Not that I accomplished X, Y, or Z, or not that I showed a certain bottom line, or, and not because those things are important. Those are. Not because the statistics said, hey, we affected this many lives, which is all great, but it's because I empowered other people and I heard what they accomplished. And that to me should be most rewarding. And I would, I would strongly suggest that anybody in a leadership position, if that's not how you're thinking about, Hey, did I have a good day, month, quarter year? Because I, I saw people, I helped people on my team affect lives. Then I think you're probably 
um, missing a lot of what it means to be a servant leader and to, to just be a leadership in general. The other thing I would add to that is, so we know that people that engage significantly with social media, um, doesn't matter how many followers they have, they can have a lot of those, they can have a lot of likes, they can have a lot of all these things, um, that they're actually lonely and they can be depressed, anxious, all of these things if they don't have real life relationships to go along with it. And so, right. you know, we might have these grandiose ideas affecting millions of lives and we put up these, you know, amazing podcasts and we're reaching millions of people and we're getting those likes and views and whatever else. But if I'm not interacting with a person one-on-one where I can feel and see the result of that, it's a very shallow type of uh, a relationship and understanding to who I'm affecting. And so I, I would just caution that, that it's not a, hey, let me go yeah. on LinkedIn or whatever and, and get a bunch of people to comment. It's if I can see the impact that I'm making in one person's life in the real emotional feedback from them uh, that, man, I, I've never been treated this way before. And, yeah, another one that struck me recently, and this might not be applicable for all instances, but one of my newer team members came to me as like, you know what struck me this past year when he was going around was that one of our other team members was on a cross continent flight. She needed a, she just was feeling stressed out, whatever. It couldn't make a meeting in the afternoon because she needed a massage. And he was like, I was just shocked because nobody cared. Like nobody was like, dude, what's going on? And he said, I literally paused my like, audio and said to my partner, like, I can't believe that just happened. They just said she can go like, and it was funny because he brought up three months after it happened. And I was like, dude, what are you talking? I don't even remember anybody asking. Like, it's just a non-event. It wasn't a big deal. Like, it yeah. didn't even register in my yeah, head. Yeah. Um, and that might not be exactly how you would. But if a, a team member that's burnt out is like, hey, my kids play is this afternoon. And I know I'm scheduled, but I'd really like to. And you don't find a way to help them get there. Mm-hmm. You know, that That's not showing you know, necessarily. And, and maybe you can't help them, but to empathize with them at the very least and say, wow, like, I really yeah. understand how tough this is for you. Not that, hey, this is your job and you got to show up and you got to be there. That's not the way to address that. At least show the compassion and empathy for it. Does that, does that answer yeah. that question? Well, and it does. And I, and I think it, um, what's interesting is it doesn't sound like you're uh, certainly not, no one's punching a time clock and you're not um, looking over people's shoulder to really like keep them like working as a taskmaster. Um, yet it seems the um, feeling that I'm getting is that um, your, your team is highly productive. Extremely. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. And so there are checks and balances, right? Like different reports and data that we look at to try and see what's going on. But the reality is when you're given that level of uh, autonomy and control and respect, right? You don't want to lose that. And so you do feel compelled to do a good job and to, you know, make sure you're, you're delivering. And it's not because somebody's micromanaging you. It's because you're getting to be what, what you want to be, right? You're yep, living out that, that own purpose. And there's talents and passions that you have. And man, wh- why would you risk giving that up? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's huge. And, and I think respect is, um, undervalued in the workplace as um, as an, something that's necessary for people to have a real sense of you know satisfaction in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, as 
as we wrap up, I'm, I'm sort of reflecting on what you've you know shared today. I, I like some of the resources that you've talked about, and we'll include links to those in the show notes. Um, in particular, the book "First Break All the Rules," and then um, that idea of um, really assessing on uh, anonymously assessing um, people's satisfaction in the workplace um, and using uh, Tiny Source. You mentioned, I believe. Um, you know what I'm what I'm kind of wrapping my mind around here is um, this idea like you shared, um, it, it starts with love and you really need to have that love for your team, for your employees to think first about their, like what what is going to create good for them. And that certainly is, you know, aligned with the core values, um, doing those check-ins with your why and honoring their why as well. What I um, want to sort of finish on here is, is a question about this idea of, of burnout or giving too much. Um, sure. I, I think that's often something that um, the, those who I'm working with have a challenge finding that balance. So, you know, if you are arguably, um, spending your time focused on loving everyone else at the sacrifice or to the detriment of yourself, um, then that's, then you're not practicing self-care, right? And then your, your wellness suffers. So how do we strike that balance? How do you love, but not give too much? Yeah. Boundaries are part of love, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody that's to choose a dramatic example, anybody that's a parent, knows that it's not loving to let your kids go run out into the street, right? If your three-year-old grabs the kitchen knife, it's not loving to say, yeah, you know, that's fine. You go have your autonomy and go play with the knife, right? Like that's that's not what love is. Willing the good of another oftentimes means uh, helping them in areas that they might even be aware of. Now, personally, going back to your purpose and why you're there and, and so on, the other thing that I think a lot of people miss out on is if you're in knowledge work, so you're not paid to, to lift things, right? So your, your job is knowledge-based. You have to understand that the brain doesn't function well after eight hours, right? There's a lot of no, research on six, this. You six can, is kind of maxed for most people. Yeah, well, I don't know that they found too many, very few that could get past that effectively. Can you still yeah. do repetitive work and things like that? Sure, but can you think and problem sure. solve? No, you can't. And the other side of that is you can't even do it for eight hours in a row. Right? You need to understand that your brain has a limited capacity before it needs to recharge. And then you also need a significant amount of sleep. Like if you don't get your seven to nine hours of sleep is for, for most people, um, then the brain doesn't have a chance to, to literally, it's like cleaning itself out. Um, that's a really a basic way of explaining it, but uh, you know, then you're not gonna be effective. So if you're saying, okay, I need to be really good at this position, I need to be empathetic and emotionally strong with people, but I'm working 60 hours and I'm not recharging by getting to sleep and I'm not, you know, taking time uh, to relax, like you're going to not be the loving person that you need to be, right? That doesn't help anybody. There has to be boundaries that you're aware of and you, you state and you're uh, willing to hold to for you and for others. Now, I think people sometimes will take advantage of those but they'll take advantage of them if you're loving or not. Like that's just, you know, that's the risk of being human that, that people are not always going to be as receptive as you'd like them to. 
That doesn't mean you don't do it because it's still the right thing to do. Uh, but you certainly need to be aware of the, the limitations that we all have. Um, because if not, you're just going to keep getting worse and eventually burn out and you're not going to help the people you want to help. So, you know, again, that goes yeah. back to checking into what are your, your priorities in life and making sure they're there. And man, anything beyond a 40 hour work week is, is tough if it's not purely physical yeah. working. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, what I'm hearing is, um, well, and we know love without boundaries is not, uh, not a positive relationship. And, um, we need that in all aspects of our working relationships, um, with, you know, regards to those we work with and the amount of time that we work or what we're asked to do. Um, there needs to be, you know, boundaries in place in order to maintain a healthy balance. Yeah. It's really important. And, and that's you know, so more specific to the working environment. That's things like, Hey, what is your job expectation? What are you know, what were you hired to do? What have you tra been trained to do? And so if people aren't holding up to that and they're relying on you or they're pushing off into some other team member or so on, right? Like yeah. that is not, that's not loving to just take on everybody else's stuff. That's not helping the situation at all. That, that has to be addressed and that has to be done in a way of, you know, compassion, obviously, you, you know, you have to be reasonable about maybe why they're doing it and get understanding, but yep. um, nonetheless, you just can't allow people to walk all over you or your other team members. And that's usually the bigger problem that yeah. you might not know about it. That's where that happiness question, how happy you at work. Um, if you love your job, but you have a soul sucking team member, you know, which we've all experienced mm -hmm. that before, um, you know, that can affect dozens of people, including those, you know, the vulnerable ones that you're helping as clients and being able to address those and, and sometimes remove them. It's just not a place where they can thrive. And if that's the case, the loving thing is to do to not force them into a place where they can't thrive. But the loving thing to do is to let yeah. them go find that opportunity. And certainly you can help them, you know, whether it's getting a new job or whatever, but uh, it's not beneficial to anyone to just say, oh, well, we got to put up with anything because, because that's not love. That's not compassion. That's not caring. That's weakness. That's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Brian, um, I'm wondering if you have a final um, thought on something that a, leaders can do right now today to start to make this shift, to have change come to their culture to bring in love or to install, you know, any of these, um, approaches that you've talked about, um, what's the thing that, what's something that they can do right now? If I was going into any type of organization, a prison or something like that, that, you know, I'm not familiar with personally, I'm not an expert in and was trying to figure out, okay, where are the cultural weaknesses? Um, one, I would look and try and see if they have culture statements. So do you have a definition of what a good culture looks like? What a good culture fit? And then from there going, I would look at tools like Tiny Pulse. It's the one we use, um, T-I-N-Y-P-U-L-S-E.com. And I have no affiliation with them. I just like the tool because every, I think it's every quarter, it sends out a question that says, how happy are you at work? And then in between it asks other ones. And it's completely anonymous. And the feedback you would get from that, if you acted on it, would be phenomenal particularly in a high stress environment, a burnout environment. And that's something that uh, there is an investment there, but could be done pretty quickly and easily. I, you can do it internally, 
but you'd have to have the time and labor to kind of create the surveys and manage them and make sure they were anonymous and whatever. So it's usually not worth the time to do that. Uh, but that would be the first thing. The second thing is, I mean, you can email me if you don't want to read the book, the Marcus Buckingham book about the, the 12 questions. And I can send you the format that I've been using for over a decade with literally the 12 questions. Um, and then I have a format of like what follow-up questions you have when you ask them. And the best way to think of it is it's not, if you're on my team, Jacob, it's not me giving you a performance review. It's you finding out if I've built an environment for you to thrive. That's what the questions are determining. And if I haven't built an environment for you to thrive, well, that's not your fault. That's my fault. And so it kind of turns the whole performance review process on its own. And if you're afraid to ask those questions, well, that, that tells you a lot to begin with. So if I went into There's a, your a ton of resistance or an organization to, man, I don't want to ask these people if their opinions count at work. All right. Well, then that tells a lot right there in itself. So those are the few things that I would consider the, the tiny polls, the 12 question surveys, um, and, and just understanding do you even have culture statements and if not working on those. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And I, I will um, email you for those questions. If you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to provide that as a resource to our listeners. I think sure. that would add a lot of value for them. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, great. Um, Brian, um, what are you working on um, now? What are you working on next? What can people expect to see from you in the future? Wow. It's so I have several businesses that, you know, always doing digital marketing with my company, Optimized Marketing. We, we generate leads for local service businesses. So certainly uh, if you're in that world and we can help, yeah, sir, we can do that. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that I spent a lot of time coaching my kids and investing in theirs. So you can certainly expect to see me out in the soccer field and the basketball court uh, helping them out. Excellent. Um, and then if you wanted to stay in touch or kind of get some of the feedback as I'm learning and sharing, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. And so try to, to post on there on a you know, weekly basis with some of the new research that I find. I, I read um, I read about 40 books this year. And so I like to share uh, what I find on there. And if it's helpful for you, great. Fantastic. Brian, thank you so much for your time and more importantly, your um, insights and your knowledge. We really appreciate you sharing them. Absolutely. I appreciate it very much as well. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to Passion and Profits Without Burnout. I hope that you found some impactful takeaways. And if you did, I'd love to hear from you. Share a screenshot on your IG story, tag me, or send me a quick message. This show is for you, so any feedback is welcomed. Hey, and make sure you're also subscribed to the show so you don't miss any of our new episodes. And if you could, take a few minutes to leave me a five-star review. That'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening, and be well.